Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll update you on Cardinal Muller's recent manifesto, along with updates on the McCarrick case, preparations for next week's summit on sexual abuse, and information on a bombshell book that threatens to overshadow that summit. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Colleen, from sunny Rome again. Every time, every time I talk to you. Yeah, yeah, when you phone me in the afternoon, the sun shines. There's a lot that's been happening in the Vatican this week, and a lot that's just about to happen. One thing that made headlines in Vatican world this weekend is that Cardinal Gerard Muller published what's been called a manifesto. Basically, it's his restatement of the creed, but it's also a political document. It makes statements that challenge Pope Francis's openness to divorced and remarried people receiving communion, which is a pastoral teaching that his critics latch onto a lot. Now, Jerry, you've covered what the last three popes you started in '85. You've also seen the reaction to them, and I'm wondering if, if in the time that you've been covering the Vatican, if past popes have faced this kind of resistance, like this issuing of this statement by Cardinal Muller, is this something that that could have happened under JP2 or Benedict, or is this something kind of new? Remember that all the popes in the modern times have faced resistance. John XXIII faced a lot of resistance when he called the Second Vatican Council. Paul VI encountered a lot of opposition, especially after his statement on Humane Vitae. But also, he faced a lot of his opposition from cardinals and from bishops when he decided that the bishops would resign at the hand in their resignation at the age of 75, and a cardinal would cease to have a vote in the conclave at the age of 80. They really reacted very strongly against him on that question, and so much so that when John Paul II came, they tried to convince him to reverse Paul VI's decision, and he refused. John Paul II encountered quite a lot of resistance. No pope in history, I think, has not encountered resistance, also within the church. So let's move on from that and talk about all the things that are about to happen in the church. Up first, we have an update on the case of former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, the former Archbishop of Washington, D.C., who was credibly accused of sexually abusing an altar server in the 1970s and was later accused of sexually abusing seminarians in his diocese. The Vatican is expected to make a decision on whether to laicize McCarrick, so effectively remove him from the priesthood, sometime this week. Now, laicization is a really complicated thing, especially when we're talking about a bishop. There are certain parts of being a bishop that can't totally be taken away, and it's actually pretty interesting once you get into it. So if you're interested in diving into that, we have a good explainer that I'll link to in the show notes. So the congregation that's uh, deciding on whether Cardinal McCarrick, well, former Cardinal McCarrick, is going to be laicized is expected to meet tomorrow, so when the show comes out. Do you know what we're expecting from that? Well, the congregation is going to decide on, on the verdict on him. So laicization is one possibility. There may be others. A lot of papers are saying that they will laicize him. It is one of the possibilities, and it seems one of the probabilities, but it's not 100% certain. Right. So what else could happen? Well, they, they may decide that he lives a monastic life, 
no public minister or anything like he that he continues much as he is doing as present. Uh, while that is unlikely, it's a possibility. I, I mean, you cannot, before the jury sits and decides, you cannot say, yes, that's going to be the verdict. Right, of course. Everybody is expecting it will be that way, but it's uh, not 100% certain. What we do know is that once the congregation, the cardinals and archbishops and bishops, tomorrow, once they take their decision and make a conclusion, the cardinal prefect, Cardinal Laderia, who is a Spaniard, will then go to the Pope sometime tomorrow or the next day or the day after. And he will present the Pope with the conclusion, with the decision of the congregation. And does the Pope have to kind of do whatever they decide on, or can the Pope take it in a totally different direction if he wants? Well, he can confirm it or he can decide something else. And it's the Pope's as the final word on this. The expectation here in Rome is that in the next few days, between now and Saturday, uh, we will be informed of the decision of the congregation and of the Pope. Right, because as you've said on past episodes, this is something that they really want to have settled before the February meeting on sexual abuse. Everyone I have spoken to has said the decision is going to come this week. We will, of course, have full reporting as soon as that decision is out. And since this is recorded on Tuesday, it might actually be out when you're listening to this show. So be sure to look for updates at americamagazine.org and on our Twitter feed, at americamag. We mentioned that the McCarrick decision is likely to come out before the Vatican Summit on Sexual Abuse next week, which I'll be in Rome covering with Jerry. This morning, on Tuesday the 12th, Jerry went to a meeting with one of the organizers of that summit, Father Hans Zollner, to learn a little more about what we can expect out of that meeting. Father Zollner didn't give all the details, but we did find out a few new things. First, we found out that there will be about 150 to 200 people attending, and we learned a little bit about who they are. There will be present the presidents of 100 or their substitutes of 114 bishops' conferences, plus the heads of the Vatican departments, plus the representatives of the major religious superiors. We also found out more about the structure of the meeting. He explained that the Pope will be present throughout, that each day uh, they will have one particular focus, one day will be on responsibility, one day will be on accountability, and another day will be on transparency. And then the fourth day will conclude with a mass and a celebration. There will be survivors. Right, those are who the speakers are. Who will address the meeting, yes. They will address the meeting. And uh, Father Zollner this morning said several of them will come from parts of the world, in other words, countries, where either there has been little information about child abuse, or in fact, maybe countries where they deny that such a thing happens. And that's important because the big goal of this meeting is to get the bishops from those countries on the same page and make them realize this is a big problem there, even if they don't know about it. Exactly. I mean, the Pope has made very clear, this is a global problem. It's not a local problem to one region of the world or another or one linguistic area or a cultural area or another. This is a global problem. And 
Father Zollner this morning made very clear, as the Pope has done in the past, that it's a human problem. Uh, while the empirical data that we have is by and large data gathered on the Catholic Church in the United States, Australia, Ireland, Germany, etc., the problem is, in fact, not just confined to the Catholic Church. It's a human problem which is also present in families, in schools, colleges, in sports sectors, etc. But the same degree of scrutiny hasn't been applied to any of these. And so, uh, as the Pope said on the plane, that by uh, clearing up the church and getting the church to deal properly and to eradicate as far as possible this from the church, the church may then be able to make a contribution to do, do the same in society. Oh, that's an interesting take on it. Usually when I hear you know, people in the church say, hey, this happens other places too, it seems like they're trying to kind of absolve themselves. Um, and usually, you know, someone criticizing that point of view would say, oh, well, you know, these other institutions don't claim some sort of moral authority. But I've, I haven't heard it interpreted that way, where if the church cleans its own house, maybe it can then help other parts of society clean house. Yeah, I think all the people who have studied this area, this particular human problem, uh, there's a general consensus that the problem is widespread. Father Zollner also reiterated this morning something that we've heard before and reported on the show, which is that the Pope will be addressing the meeting and that in the afternoons, the bishops will break into language groups of about 20 people. We'll have more information early next week when the full plans are expected to be released. But the organizers of the summit addressing sexual abuse aren't the only ones planning something big for next week. There's a 600-page book coming out called In the Closet of the Vatican. It's by a French journalist, Frédéric Martel, who claims that he's interviewed hundreds of sources in and around the Vatican to reveal which Vatican officials are gay and have active sex lives and are doing scandalous things like hiring male prostitutes. That bombshell book will come out in eight different languages on the first day of the Sexual Abuse Summit. Now, a lot of what we know about the book is based on rumors and on what anonymous sources have told the Italian press about it. But here are the basics. The Spanish language, the French language, they have something titled like Sodom. The book is written by a person who admits openly he's not a believer, he's gay. Uh, His thesis is that uh, uh, the church is really one of the big world institutions taking a strong stance against uh, homosexuality. And he's saying it. this is ironical, given that so many in the higher echelons of the church, and he's meaning in the, in the Vatican and in the College of Cardinals, are themselves gay. Uh, he's making this statement. Now, the, the, the book, from what I've spoken to people who have had the possibility to read drafts of it, and from what I know myself, the book, uh, it's difficult to distinguish fact from fiction. Right. He says that he based this off off of 1,500 interviews or something like that. And in reality, we can't confirm that. And he's had access to a lot of people. And nobody questions this. But 
you know, in a way, it's a kind of a more Italian, French style of journalism. From what I know and from people who have read the French, seen the French version, they say that it's a style of journalism that is more frequent in Italy, in France, in these, some of these countries, uh, where, you know, I met so-and-so, he told me this. Uh, and then you, you take it as fact. And then he says, maybe two or three other people told me the same. But you don't know who these people are. Uh, and so th this raises serious questions on the style of journalism that's involved in this book. From what I have been hearing also from people who have read the book, uh, it, it sounds like he does a lot of assuming. He'll describe things like someone's body language and be like, oh, well, obviously we can conclude this from their body language. And in the U.S., that would be seen as very irresponsible journalism. Yeah, he 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 goes and visits somebody, and this person comes out to meet him, and he says, "Oh, well, the way he's dressed, the the, the, the tone of voice, etc., etc." Et and he concludes, "Well, this this guy is surely gay." The book is also expected to name names, targeting people who are high up in the Vatican under John Paul II and Pope Benedict, but less so those who are high up in Francis's papacy. Basically, the story is that the, the circle around John Paul II, uh, some people around John Benedict XVI were, in fact, uh, gays. And the, the stronger, the more uh, homophobic their statements were, the more likely they were to be gay. It, it, he works with a lot of theses. Uh, and the question is, you know, is this the kind of journalism that would stand real critique in the United States, in Britain. Uh, the assumption that so many people in high places, even if they happen to be gay, are leading double lives, is something that has to be subject to verification and proof. And you cannot simply uh, make the case because you've heard it from X, Y, or Z. Have you direct evidence of it? Have you really got other people who've got direct evidence of it, and can you name them? Uh, this raises lots of serious questions. Obviously, it gains maximum attention when the world's press will be focusing on the summit and to throw this at the beginning of the summit, and it, it will give the kind of partly suggesting that maybe the cover-up of the abuse is getting little, little attention because many of the people are gay in the church. And I think in, in serious readers' minds, it will raise many, many doubts and questions as to what really is the motivation behind this. The thing is, it's not likely that very many people will be serious readers of this 600-page book. Most people will just read the headlines about it that say X number of people in the Vatican are leading these scandalous double lives. But that question about the intention behind the book is really important. I've been hearing people say that Martel's intention behind writing this book was to expose the hypocrisy of higher-ups in the church so that the problem can be taken care of and the church can move on and get better. But the release of this book on the first day of the sexual abuse summit threatens to conflate the issue of gay priests with that of the abuse of children. And the research has shown that those aren't the same thing. In case you want to take a deep dive on all that research, we're launching a new podcast this week called Deliver Us that explores the sex abuse crisis in the church. I'll put details in the show notes, and we'll feature this new series on Inside the Vatican in the coming weeks. Mm -hmm.
So there's a lot going on in Rome in anticipation of the Sexual Abuse Summit. We have the decision on Cardinal McCarrick that's expected next week. We have this bombshell book that threatens to overshadow the whole meeting. And then there are the actual plans for the meeting itself. Next week, we'll have a special episode for you on the first day of the Sexual Abuse Summit, Thursday the 21st. I'll be in Rome interviewing people in the Vatican to explain what's going on at this international meeting on the sexual abuse of minors. Jerry, I'm really looking forward to being with you in Rome to, to cover all of these things next week. I'm looking forward to meeting you, Colleen. Yeah, I don't think the listeners know that we've never met in person. Like, I think I've shaken your hand once when you passed through New York, but a long time ago. I saw you in, in March when I came last year to New York, but it was just a hello, goodbye. Yeah, so we didn't know that we would end up hosting a podcast together. I'm very happy we're doing this. All right, Jerry, I will see you next week in Rome. So look forward to that, Colleen. Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Deli. Our executive producer is Eric Sundrup, who also engineered audio this week. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at AmericaMag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Deli with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week. <laughs>